0: Money Sense is brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group, four-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com and listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just north of I-94 between Highway 164 and Highway F in Ridgeview Corporate Park. And I just want to invite everybody to come in and see our new location. We've got 42 acres of beautiful scenery and trees and walking paths, and we'd love to invite you to come in and just stop in and say hi. We're also in the village of Bay. We're in the Equitable Bank building directly across from Winkies. Everyone knows where that is. We also are really happy that we can service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details and to put a voice with a face. My guest today is Milan Cortestani. Did I get that right?
1: Yes, Milan Cortestani.
0: <laughs> and he wrote a book, I'm Just Saying. And when I received the book, I had to laugh because I have a friend that is always saying to me something. Then she goes, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like, I, I'm not sure. Sometimes I know exactly what she means by the look on her face or her smile. And then other times she's got that look at me like I'm going... Uh, how did that conversation end? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and so, Milan, I'm curious. Um, you've got on the front of your book, it says a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world. But I really like the idea um, that it sort of outlines you as a social entrepreneur and writer, that you're focused on empowering individuals and community through these companies and through your leadership. I, I really do like that because I've been working very hard in the community of education, mm. and I become so aware of um, that nobody seems to be talking. And we, you know, everything is Zoom, and and people just give you that. I'm just saying. I mean, yes, we've got problems with education, and it's so underfunded, and but there doesn't seem to be any solutions. And it seems like in your writings that you're really. Trying to help people find solutions in a world that is so driven by technology that people basically really aren't even talking or seeing each other.
1: Yes. Um, that's exactly it. And and one, thank you for having me, but also two, I fully agree on the education front. And and part of why I wrote this book is because. It was it was kind of started as a memoir to my younger self like the the version of me that was a young entrepreneur that wished i had learned some of these lessons earlier on but as as most entrepreneurs there's like a, a there's a a need to learn by making mistakes and not just taking the world the way it's given to us and accepting that but i think um i you know getting to the the, the crux of the solution for creating more civil discourse creating more impactful conversations in our lives I think it starts with the individual and feeling confident and comfortable um, embarking on conversation with anyone and feeling like we're able to bring the right intention um, and and tools to be able to conduct civil discourse.
0: So why don't we very often at the end of the show, I ask my individual, what do you hope that someone gets out of the show today? So I think I'm going to just ask you that right up front. What do you hope that our listeners can glean From this interview and from your book.
1: I hope people walk away a little more inspired and motivated to conduct these conversations in their lives. Because I do think that there's a lot of fear right now uh, out of sharing your opinion, out of conversing with people who are from, you know, a part of the world or a different state or a different mindset that you might not agree with, or there's family members you might be intentionally avoiding um having conversations with and walking on eggshells with and so i hope to inspire some really impactful conversations in people's lives and to hopefully go out there and and read the book uh, to to learn some of the ways to conduct these difficult conversations
0: three of the things that you outline in the book how challenging conversations can help us grow and learn from one another why working in good faith to find common ground can make us better communicators and inspire us to seek positive change in all facets of our lives, and how trusting yourself and your intentions can guide any conversation to a positive outcome, inspire others to change. Let's take time to dig into some of that, all of it, I guess, because I always think when I start a conversation, often I'll say, I'm a beginner at this. I've never gone down this path before. What I hope is, is that when we're done with this conversation, that we can maintain connection, not disconnection. Right. And that sometimes is pretty tricky.
1: It is. It's pretty tricky. And we're more divided, I think, now than we ever have been. And it takes an intentional... Um, focus on trying to bridge that division and and that's why I have such a large focus in this book on intention because why we embark on conversation is is just as important as anything else in that conversation or any of the other tools right like I I talk about in the book active listening for example as being one of the most fundamental um, pieces to conducting civil discourse but it really starts with intention and if that intent is common ground if it's not to uh, if we if we put aside the need to be defensive, to be right and this feeling of of righteousness, then we are able to create, I think, much better connections with with other people.
0: Well, when we feel righteous and that we're right, it leads into judgment, yes, which <laughs> which is a killer.
1: It's a killer. I, I I was talking to a friend about this the other day that when we judge other people externally, it means that we're probably really harsh on ourselves internally and judging ourselves as well. Which is, is not a great mindset to live in.
0: Well, it's in many ways. It's I think that when we judge people and we label people, we also label ourselves. We could be, like you said, almost harder on on ourselves. How how can someone move? Uh you talk about it as civil discourse is an art, not a science. Maybe we should start by defining civil discourse and helping the listeners to understand how they can see that within themselves, because the first piece is mm-hmm. recognition and then movement towards something new or different.
1: Yes. So in in my opinion, civil discourse is the most ideal type of conversation in that it is focused on common ground you are conversing with people for the sake of creating connection for the sake of understanding them better and for the sake of common ground the alternative to civil discourse tends to be debate which is when there is usually a winner and a loser now when we talk about that you know and in a lot of the division in society today There's a recognition that a lot of what we're doing is debate, whether it's with a spouse or a family member or at the political level. We're debating, and what that means is there's usually a winner and a loser, and that loser is usually someone we care about. At the political level it's often half of the american population um and at the at the individual level or at the fa- familial level or like with a spouse you know it's really unfortunate if one of you is is right trying to be right all the time and the other one ends up being wrong um, rather than going into conversations with civil discourse and in this intent to find common ground we are listening to understand people better to create connection um, to empathize and to be able to create um some sort of resolution that that satisfies both parties
0: when when you talk about um civil discourse in your book you talk about it in alignment with democracy Hmm. how 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 did you how do you define that how do you bring those two pillars
1: together sure so in in our democracy at least in the U.S. we have a large priority on free speech And that free speech has gotten really complex as we've become a really modern society. And a lot of speech now happens digitally and there's questions around bots and automation. Um, And so the the truth is I think civil discourse is a pillar of, of democracy and that we need to be a really solution oriented because as a country, we as citizens should have shared values and those shared values create nationalism and pride and actually unify us as a people to become a progressive society. We're able to move forward faster, um, you know, grow the economy, grow our social standards, everything, when we can create solutions of agreement um, to move forward. And the antithesis of that, right, is stagnation and moving backwards. And that is what tends to happen when we become a rather divided society that's um, not capable of having civil discourse.
0: It's very frustrating because so often you're watching a debate on TV or you're reading about a debate in the paper and there is no opportunity to have a conversation.
1: Right. And, you know, I mean, social media has made it kind of a conversation and that's one of the biggest changes in the publishing industry in the last decade, really. We went from a world where the news and media would tell us everything and then we would go home or to our friends and family to discuss it. Now you get all of that information on social media and it's a two way street. You can immediately respond to it. You can immediately see what people are saying. And a lot of times people are just leaving comments to get attention for themselves to drive traffic back to their pages. They're intentionally being divisive and, 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 you know, not interested in, in civil discourse. So it's, it's unfortunate, you know, it's,
0: it's- it's such an interesting topic and something that people haven't really discussed. I mean, I haven't really heard the discussion out there. How did you get started in this? Where did you come up with the the idea that you would write this book? You said originally you were doing it for yourself, kind of the, for the younger you, but how did it... E- unfold and develop into a book that you felt that the public could really benefit from
1: sure so i i wrote this well let's see i started out uh writing when i was around you know in in high school and i fell in love with writing as a way to be able to groom my thoughts and become a more eloquent thinker um because for me being an entrepreneur that was really important right being able to synthesize my thoughts well and the first publication I started writing for was the Huffington Post. I started pitching to tons of publications at 16 years old about the agriculture industry. I was raising turtles and raising chickens and selling eggs to my neighbors and um, growing and raising saffron and writing research about that. I'm um, originally my parents are Iranian immigrants, so saffron's a big spice in our community. And so, you know, I started writing about this agriculture industry from a youth perspective and pitching that as as such a youth perspective in agriculture being important and sure enough i started writing for the huffington post and um, through that along the way as i founded different startups uh, I, i wrote for different publications like rolling stone and entrepreneur and after some time i felt like so much of the content that i was putting out in the world was just not interesting or was like not at the deepest level that I could be writing at to try to move people and spark interesting conversations which as a writer and a journalist that's what you're trying to do you're trying to get people to think differently to to have interesting conversations to move people and I found that so many of my fellow writers were doing something similar because there's ego involved in publishing and when your name is on every article, you end up becoming really delicate with what you're putting out in the world when there's a cancel culture at play. And so, you know, there is this fear of retribution, either from the employer, the publication, the, the public, uh, whatever it is, it holds you back from writing the most vulnerable stories from your life. And those vulnerable stories are what allow people to connect with you and allow people to see you as human. And uh that was this moment of recognizing okay if i have this problem and my fellow writers do too we need a solution here and i founded this publication called the doe um if you go to the the doe.com you'll see and uh, what it is is anonymous publishing house we would bring in writers or writers would come pitch to us over 300 a week that's at one point and um you know we would vet who they were what stories they said happened to them and we would publish those out into the world and those were that was our way of sparking civil discourse. Um, for a long time, we did this from 2019 up until November of 2022. We've been on hiatus since, but um, we're trying to find ways to really optimize that process of vetting because it's it's quite quite intensive. And so to scale that, um, it it takes a bit more time. But oh my gosh, we started so many amazing conversations from publishing the wildest stories. So that that really inspired me to recognize that my own vulnerability in storytelling is super incredible. And I want to do that in the form of a book to kind of recognize not only the power of anonymous publishing and storytelling um, to create human connection, but teach the tools to be able to show up better to those conversations in our lives and feel like we can be vulnerable to connect with people better.
0: The word that comes up for me is empathy.
1: Hmm.
0: And it seems as if with all the things that are happening in our world today, that we have lost the empathy for the people around us. And in some ways because of media and things happen so fast, I find that you're either isolated or you are so badgered by it that you become, um, you go from being raw to indifferent. Those are big steps. How how do you see that?
1: Yes, I think a lot of people are choosing to be indifferent now because they fear that retribution or they fear being wrong or saying the wrong thing and then being ostracized for it in some form. And one of the parts of what I push for in this book is this idea that by being vulnerable by being confident in our ability to create connection with other people we start to find the people who are our community right you start to connect with people better and you start to create your own community and cultivate that and even doing so you know finding the people that you can communicate with safely and comfortably with it inspires you to show up better for others around the world and and you know it, it makes you better when you go into these micro conversations with people, because right now there's so much avoidance. We wear earbuds, you know, throughout the world and AirPods and whatever it is, right, to not have to interact with people um, and have these micro conversations as much or avoid awkwardness or, you know, there's, there's a lost art here in in discourse that I'm trying to advocate for. <laughs>
0: My guest today is author Milan Cordestiani, and he wrote a great book, I'm Just Saying, A Guide to Maintaining Civil Discourse in an Increasingly Divided World. We're going to take a quick break, and with that, we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is author Milan Cordestani, and he is an entrepreneur as well, a wonderful writer. And he's written a book called I'm Just Saying. We've got Father's Day coming, Mother's Day coming. We've got um, lots of different events. It's a great book to give, I think, a college student or you know anyone that's in your life that you find is having trouble in i say this new world of ours in communication so much of our emotions get tied into communication and it's either maybe you say it I'm just saying or you stamp your foot and you walk away either one of them is a is a curtain coming down and it stops the volley with the tennis ball of conversation mm-hmm. and so Milan How let's start with you know, the whole idea with this is having happy employees, having a company where there's collaboration, there's communication, there's value is so important. But how do we do it in this new remote culture that we're all facing?
1: Yes, so it's really important to one, establish the best forms of communication for your team, and it's important to recognize that it's there is no like one size fits all here and especially it's it's all about getting the team driven behind a mission and so i'm sure you know this of course as well but like you have to get the team to rally around different things so that they stay incentivized they stay hungry um whether it's goals and clear incentives and um those types of structures or it's within the culture of you know how are we spending time together are we able to do remote happy hours or get together once every now and then and go to different conferences together so that we can get to know each other better and learn. But really, it's about creating a flexible culture and a really human one, because it's so easy to start getting into routine and getting into structure and getting to a point where it almost feels inhuman anymore. You're not like having any human interaction, but just dealing with information coming your way across a screen. And and I think that's when you start to get into those toxic work environments.
0: I also think that in many ways we get so comfortable in in an environment that doesn't uh, expect anything out of us. So I've talked to so many people, they say, I love working from home. All I have to do is have a nice shirt on. I can I can be in my slippers and yes. you know, a pair of shorts. And we lose that sense of ourselves, I think, to a degree which also then prevents us from wanting to move towards conversation and moving towards people. How how to, and even companies transitioning from this remote to being in the office has been difficult.
1: Hmm. It has, I agree. And you know what people don't realize is how much is lost when you start to work from home entirely besides the workplace, the commute is lost. The lunchtime with, with the team is lost. Um, which means that you might end up skipping your own lunch when you're at home, or you start to lose these parts of your day-to-day interaction with humans, which is so important for being able to inspire you to recognize your ability to connect with people. And all of a sudden, you start to become lonely and secluded, which unfortunately is one of like the leading um, mental health uh, roots of causes or root issues in, in America is loneliness, which is incredibly interesting to see, especially in you know, as we start to think that we love a remote world and working from home, but that is a big problem now.
0: Well, isolation for the elderly is one of the most difficult things and it leads to depression. Yes. And I... I always say, I want to walk as if I got a place to go. Well, if all I do is walk from my office to my kitchen, (laughs) there's not a lot of places to go. I, I need that feeling of getting up, getting dressed, and walking like I got somewhere to go to energize me and to revitalize my spirit. How does someone that finds themselves, one of our listeners says, oh, they're talking about me, I've gotten stuck. How do... They realign themselves to move into these conversations that you talk about that people are just shutting down. How does someone, are there steps that someone can take to reactivate that curiosity that they once had?
1: Yes. So the curiosity, I believe, comes from being inspired by great conversations. And in the book, I weave a few different amazing figures that I think inspired me throughout my life. One of them being oprah winfrey another one being fred rogers each of them different forms of excellence in civil discourse for for fred rogers or mr rogers on tv it was tone and how well he was able to use tone to um, connect with young audiences but the other part of this really is micro conversations and that is when you go on throughout your life and you interact with um, the person who checks a bag at an airport, the waiter, the bartender, um, the individual who bags your groceries, and knowing their name—these micro conversations, where you go a little bit, you know, taking a step beyond what you normally would to connect with people, usually opens opens a different door for you, where you get to learn about a different facet of life that you otherwise would not have. And that inspires people, I think, to then be more open, be willing to have difficult conversations in their lives, because you start to recognize your own ability to connect with people. And that creates courage and confidence. The next time you show up to conversations with, you know, someone that you normally wouldn't be conversing with or have avoided conversating with.
0: You know that is one of my most favorite things to do is to talk to the Uber drivers, mm. <laughs> and and when I'm a waitress or or someone else, just to find out, you know, where they live, what they do, what they enjoy about what they do. And you're right, it it expands your world so much, and I've learned so much just in those incidental ten half hour, fifteen minute conversations that you can have and it's it really is a door opener
1: it is and and we miss a lot of it in a remote world and so if you are dominantly working from home you have to find those opportunities and you have to make those opportunities for yourself otherwise I, I do believe we end up becoming a more you know in a company I think you become a divided culture but in a you know country you become a divided society without these conversations
0: Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, you know, I'd like to, I know we want to explore how does this impact your relationships, your personal relationships, how, but also what about, how do we help our students, our children who have grown up with technology and in many times they haven't, even with COVID and things like that, they haven't had the experience
1: Mm. of
0: these Um, critical conversations that we have, and they're so comfortable on the computer. How do we get them out and encourage them and support them and bring opportunities forward for them to enjoy conversation? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is author and entrepreneur Milan Cordesani, and he wrote a great book. I'm just saying, and it's a guide to maintaining civil disclosure in an increasingly divided world. And I am blessed to have seven grandchildren, one great granddaughter. And I watch them on the technology and they understand so much more than just the prospect of me interviewing you or me talking to someone or doing a Zoom or working on the computer. They see a whole world that I actually cannot always visualize.
1: Yes. And that whole world is quite interesting, right? When like all of communication is happening heavily on social media, where there is such a void of nuance in, in how we're able to understand one another, um, you end up creating a lot of really oftentimes toxic environments, but you know, there's also great opportunity to create civil discourse on, on social media as well. And online.
0: I know that when I look at my kids, it used to be that I could connect with them on email. And then of course it was Facebook. And now they're using all kinds of other, Different things that I know are good for business and I know have a use, but it seems like everybody is so connected to their phone, which is their photographs. It's their computer. It's where they harvest, you know, all their information. You can look up the dictionary. It's, it's everything.
1: Yes. There is information overload. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges actually for, for my generation and Gen Z and next is really this information overload and being able to process all of it and not getting overwhelmed or scared or feeling like you are unable to keep up because there really is we're moving at a quite a fast pace of information being thrown at us and I think that's going to be one of the skills that we have to really start to hone is our ability to parse through all of that information form our own opinions form our own thoughts um, and be able to converse about them
0: I think for young parents who are I even know my great granddaughter was going to be four is so good on the phone and the computer. Parents really do need to be intentional about helping their children to find other sources for information and for connection to people and not just through sports and some of the activities that the kids do, but actually getting them into places like museums and, you know, different forms. I think the arts and going for a walk in the park and asking them about trees and what they see and having them become more aware of the surroundings and the people around them.
1: Yes, I think it's so important to get out into the world and off of the phone, um, you know, The other issue is like there used to be a lot more intentionality in how we would spend our time, and there's a lot less of that now because, other you know, when you have technology constantly in your pocket and you know, often on people's wrists now, you are just being bombarded with information constantly and notifications that suck you in and pull you into conversations and end up taking a lot of your time. Um, that you otherwise would be much more intentional with to say, okay, I'm going to go and see someone and have a very intentional conversation with them. Or like you were just saying, go out for a walk in the park and talk with one of my kids about whatever it is that I view as important right now.
0: You know, I just recently did a Ted talk on being a positive disruptor. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when I think of that, those were really hard conversations that I had to have, and I had to believe in myself. And you talk about why working in good faith to find common ground can make us better communicators and inspire us to see positive change in all facets of our lives. Without even knowing that is what I needed to do in order to build the business I have today, to have faith. I always say, live by what you trust, not by what you fear. Mm. and. And can you talk a little bit more about why that is so stifled in today's world, that having that, you know, it's, it. someone said to me, Karen, you're such a disruptor. And that shook me up to my bones until I realized, well, yeah, but I'm a positive disruptor. I immediately heard bad. I heard I was bad because I was a disruptor until I myself could figure out that, no, it wasn't bad because I was positively doing something that made a difference.
1: Mm, Yes. So I think, you know, that, that connotation, that difference of understanding of that word to disruptor speaks so much to the, the inability to understand oftentimes what people mean when they're communicating on social media and how much of that, that nuance I was speaking is, is missing there. Um, But Truly, I I think that it is like these I was mentioning earlier on in the show, positive conversations or having great experiences and conversations with people end up inspiring you to be able to then compound that to bring that to other people throughout your life, um, and in different facets of it. And so it's about putting the assumptions away and just looking to connect with people. And part of that is these two concepts you were just mentioning of trust and faith. And I talk about those in the book because we often get them confused. Trust is this idea of, I have had great conversations with someone in the past, or I've, I know them. I have some established rapport of believing that they are capable of, you know, civility and, and creating common ground with. Faith is when we don't know someone at all, but we come to the table having faith in ourselves, uh, that we are capable, that we have the skills needed to be able to find common ground and that if we are unable to, that we are speaking to someone that is a bad faith actor. But we really have to have faith in other people and an ability to um connect with them. And you know, that's if we don't really, then then really we're going to be quite negative. And I think sad people is the truth.
0: Well, it is it is sad. And I see a lot in in my business of working with people around money. And very often, it's a parent has passed away, and there's the children are beneficiaries, and all of the old stuff that they the experienced as kids come now to the surface, mm. and and very often it's not a discourse around what they inherit, it's around the things that are left in the house that they're all attached to, and they don't really know how to have those conversations. And I know in the book, you talk about going through um, a family divorce, your your Mm -hmm. parents divorcing and how difficult that was for you. And I think we're in a society where we've all gone through all kinds of things as kids and with our siblings and our parents. And having that connection later in life and being able to work through some of those issues, I often say, is there an elephant in the room I need to know about? (laughs) And you know what? There's an elephant in everybody's room. And so on a personal level with family, having those conversations is so critically important.
1: Hmm. It is. And that elephant in the room is oftentimes what allows us to connect with other people. Um, it, it's what we're scared to share. But we, like you said, we all have an elephant in the room. And so when we can feel comfortable being vulnerable and sharing those stories, we're usually able to connect with people a lot better. And when I look at that example, I have, um, I'm one of six, um, across a few different step parents, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I have so many younger siblings. And that's part of why I wrote this book as well was to kind of communicate so many of my learnings and lessons from, so that they don't have to make so many of the same mistakes. And Especially looking at divorce, right? Um, it's it's so interesting when you see that happen, right? And it's one of it's a major issue in the U.S., especially our culture um, has a lot of divorce due to irreconcilable differences, and we're reaching a cultural point where it feels like there is just tons of irreconcilable differences, and people are not interested in in having that communication. So, when it comes to inheritance and families. Um, You know, your family is so important, being able to connect with people that grew up with the same circumstances, the parents that, you know, messed you up, perhaps in the exact same ways doing their best. Um, It is, there's no one like that in your world. And so finding, finding ways to connect with those people, share your issues throughout life earlier on, rather than waiting before it all boils up to a really intense, stressful point, I think is so important.
0: You talk about active listening versus passive listening in the book.
1: I do it is active listening is is listening to connect with people it's listening with the intention of um understanding people better it's it's empathy and a lot of times we're listening so that we can make a point so that we can be right so that uh and you know we, we start off listening thinking we're active listeners and then you know two sentences in we start formulating our own our own answer before we ever get to you know, hear the rest of what someone else was saying. And it creates really disconnected conversations where you're just kind of volleying back and forth and it's not, it's not really um not really going anywhere.
0: I enjoyed another chapter in your book, and you talk about trust and the importance of trust. And I think one of the things that's also important is that you trust yourself. Yes. And that's kind of where it begins, but so often things have happened in life, and it could be disappointments, even in in our political agenda out there, and something happens and we're so disappointed. And it gets to a point sometimes where you feel like you can't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. And there was a study done just recently well it was just completed it was started actually um in i think it was um during the during the depression and they took a bunch of kids from the breadline and a bunch of kids that were going to harvard and yale and they studied them for like 50 years and it was um it was i think it's harvey waldinger he's got a ted talk on it and what came from this they didn't know what they were studying and so they had people from all economic backgrounds people with major health issues. um, And the study ended up showing them that the people who did the best in this world, the happiest people, the people who were able to get beyond conflicts and difficult situations were the people who felt they had someone, at least one person who had their back that they trusted. Wow. And when you think about that, that's amazing. And it didn't have to be, it it said that it wasn't that... A couple never fought or disagreed, but when the rubber hit the road, there was someone that they knew had their back. And I feel that being able to build that type of communication with somebody takes an effort, but trust is like the most important thing in the world.
1: It is. And you have to cultivate it. It's not something that you build with someone one time and it it's done right? Like having that person that you trust, um, that you were mentioning from that study, it, it's it's ongoing, it's fluid, you have to cultivate trust every day with people. And and that is um, a lesson I learned from uh, Stephen Cuffey. Uh, and it was this idea that in his book, The Speed of Trust, that you have to every single day show up working on trust, building it, because it can so quickly vanish. And so you really want to constantly be in communication with people. I mean, again, that there's, there's delicacy to saying constant, but when you are in communication with people, you want to be intentional, you want to be talking about subjects that are important, because all of that is what ends up creating a stronger relationship to be able to trust um, others and yourself as well. Because sometimes when we start to struggle in conversation, or when we start to find that we're constantly being defensive and angry, and, um, you know, becoming really reactive, we start to trust like lose trust in ourselves as communicators and start to stray away from difficult conversations, which inevitably ends up, I think, um, creating a rather, like it it dulls you as a person. And we don't really want that, I think.
0: Well, I think the pandemic um, caused some of that um, inability to feel comfortable about communication. I mean, face it, we're all human. And if there's an easier route to take, And you could just click the zoom and end the call and not have to face that person or not have to have that conversation in the office and then see him at the lunch table and have that sense of empathy. We did a a group um, team building thing in our office, oh, probably 10 years ago, and we took paper plates and on the one side we had our partner i think we picked names and at on one side we took that plate and we put all the things that we know about them the things that they were doing in their life and then we gave the plate to that person and on the inside of the plate they put everything that they were dealing with in their lives that was that they had to be accountable for to understand we just don't know what's on someone's plate and it was amazing because i think we would each put five or six things. We knew they took their kids to school. We knew if they had to pack lunches. They had to do mm-hmm. dinner. They took the laundry in. Um, but when they turned over the plate, we didn't know that they called their mother and father every day and that they had to stop at the stop to pick them up, take them to the doctor. Um we had no idea of all the things that were on each other's plates. And it really it changed us. Yes. It really gave empathy to understanding that sometimes someone just needs a smile or I got it or I'll help you out or just a a listening to know that someone else cares about you more than just coming to work and fulfilling a job.
1: And without expecting anything in return. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) It's because the, the real goal of these conversations is is common ground. It's shared. And, you know, it's when you inspire someone or, you know, or you also inspire yourself. So it's, it's, yeah.
0: I think that these are some of the things that we can do in our offices. And one of the other things that we do in our office, and we've got 44 employees that when we have our, our large meetings, we go around the room and we'll say, what would you like us to be intentional for, for you? It could be like a prayer, but it's not. But you go around the room year after year and somebody says, my grandmother's really sick, um, if you would keep her in your thoughts and prayers, or my son is taking their driver's test tomorrow (laughs) and I'm worried, or whatever it is. Hmm. And all of a sudden you start start to get a sense of the humanness of all of us. And this is something that you can do around your kitchen table. You know, what did you notice today? What did you notice about somebody else? And getting that awareness, because I think the whole technology thing skews us and we lose our sense of ourselves, and we often can lose the sense of those that are around us.
1: We lose the humanness. And I think that humanness is what unites us all. Like we are the same species. (laughs) Um, Yes. And and truly the second we start to view ourselves as like lesser than the technology which is i I worry is happening right now as we start to see this growth in ai which i do think is a human amplifier but as we see this happening in another technological boom um there is this feeling and sentiment of okay well my writing isn't good enough and my my you know perspective is not informed enough and my um opinion is not you know doesn't matter the way it might have used to and These things make us human and and being able to be wrong, having issues and things that go on in our lives, like you were just saying, um, or things that stress us out and make us nervous and that are priorities in our personal lives, they unite us as humans. So I definitely think being open to sharing them, you know, being vulnerable and, and sharing these moments with people in our lives connects us.
0: I think your willingness to be so transparent in your book and to share the hurt and the struggles that you experienced on a personal level and through a business level is very unique and it's very courageous. And I do encourage um, individuals to get the book. If you've got college students, a high school student that's going off to college for yourself, it's called I'm Just Saying, A Guide to Maintaining Civil Discourse in an Increasingly Divided World. It was. I think it's excellent. And I really appreciate that you've taken the time to do the interview and to really reach out to people to um, if they can feel, if they can see themselves in you and it helps them to get clarity. I think that is a win-win.
1: I I think so too. I am not superhuman. Uh, these, these lessons that we teach and these skills for conducting civil discourse are not, um, they're not rocket science or things you have to memorize, but I hope, you know, we can inspire people to show up better to conversations in their lives much more intentionally and have trust in people and, you know, hopefully help bridge a rather divided society right now.
0: You can go to Amazon, to the, all the local bookstores. Is there a way that they can reach out to you, Milan?
1: Yes, I am on all social media at Milan Cordestani, um or MilanCordestani.com. You can find my website and connect with me there.
0: Thank you so much. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye.